fields. Because culture is relational, there exists a space of symbolic stances for which is independent of, yet homologous to, the space of social positions. When agents classify talking, as when a speech pattern is said to be bourgeois, they take a position in social space through position taking in symbolic space. In Bourdieu's theory, the symbolic system cannot be reduced to, or viewed as simply reflective of, the social structure, because the symbolic orders are specific to given fields. The symbolic order slash logic of the artistic field, for example, is the inversion of that of the economic. The analytical project is to reveal the way in which symbolic oppositions express, and can be mobilized within, a given field. This view of the symbolic order, and thus the constituting capacity of culture, defines the study of cultural production. What a society considers creative is a product of positioning, simultaneously, the acts and instances of positioning itself, its value in the field of cultural production, are determined by its autonomy or perceived creativity. Position defines creativity, while creativity defines the value of any instance of position taking whether in the theory it is closer to the autonomous or the heteronymous pole. Creativity is defined dialectically in terms of how culturally ascribed attributes of creativity are valued and valorized in relation to social positions that creativity is partly responsible for creating. The claim is that, because the artistic field of cultural production is inseparable from social structure, that is, practical structure, and the two line up in an almost perfect homology, Bourdieu 1983a, 326, it is unnecessary to analyze the cultural concepts of cultural production apart from their relationship to social structure. Of relevance is how one artist uses a claim to creativity to take a position. In relation to another, how literary agents, managers, and museums use creativity to sell their product on the economic market which they, of course, help to create, and how creative productions become tools of class domination, not least through their ability to impose a definition of what is creative, a wholly arbitrary definition that appears in misrecognized form as an ahistorical and disinterested definition. So the texts on cultural production analyze creativity solely in terms of the way it functions. Understanding Bourdieu's view of the character of structures which lie outside social structure is to examine his sociology of the language of art. He notes that the influence of art history and criticism is a function of the way in which its linguistic distinctiveness the high-sounding words light years away from ordinary speaking are linked to the structured system of social differences, or classes. This characterization exemplifies his general linguistic theory, which holds that linguistic norms can be appreciated only as a product of, and a means for reproducing, specific historical and political relations. The language of art history and criticism is part and product of a linguistic market which functions to, a, redistribute capital within an artistic field through agents' strategies, b, continually re-establish an orthodoxy in a field whose logic encourages heterodoxy, and, c, express and reproduce class hierarchy.
So those are kind of really important definitions when we talk about what role language in art plays. particularly with respect to art criticism. So economic reasons. To redistribute capital within an artistic field through agent strategies. So monopoly. And we can see that definitely, definitely related to um, the reproduction of class hierarchy. Becky, pass the mic. I mean, so he's talking primarily about high art, but the way that high art is then infiltrated through this kind of decentralization process that seeks to challenge it in terms of it being a, a culturally, a cultural construct that has no broad relativity, but maintains power through, um, you know, the kind of exclusivity or oppressive means of excluding others. And so he's making this point primarily through um, language. Linguistic inequality. But of course there are those who just quite simply aren't allowed to speak, period. Please don't start me. So I don't know if I mentioned this in a previous, um, in the previous post, because I did a couple and kind of fucked them up and decided to redo them. But however, however, um, so a quant is actually a, um, he's like the protege of, uh, Pierre Baudou and I was interested in observing how his structural welfare state um, informs Baudou's, sorry, how Baudou's welfare state informs Wequant's um, framing of, you know, this, the, the, the penal state or the prison state. 
and particularly I've been interested in a while, you know, for a while in this idea of um, this consistency, this kind of, um, you know, these extra penological measures that have evolved from slavery through Jim Crow through, you know, ghettoization. And he classifies these particular components. And so, you know, obviously, Baudu being his um, mentor and Baudu himself being the product of this kind of um, polarity of these two philosophical giants uh, that came out of, or theor theoretical giants that came out of France, which is such as um, existentialism versus Levi Strauss's um, structuralism and kind of forming, creating his own space um, in that. And I think it's one of the things that they kind of note about him being kind of odd in that he doesn't quite fit either framework. But his development, his theory of culture is one that does not sit usually well internationally, although in the 70s his work was reproduced, you know, across kind of, across different languages. Um, it's because, uh, you know, America does not really have a, a comparative to, uh, you know, France's or the French um, human sciences. The closest they may have is probably social anthropology, I, I would think, although I'm no expert. And it's in spaces like social anthropology that you have really kind of profound works coming forward around gentrification. Um, as opposed to kind of, you know, a, a white coating, the white coat kind of um, administrative documentation of. And I was just, I was kind of thinking about, I was thinking about, I was thinking about the role of social, anthrop social anthropology just recently because we're having some um, floods again in Sydney, particularly out west, out, out near the Nepean River. And um, there's like this whole kind of, I mean, I've been thinking about it across a number of things, actually, because as everybody knows, my, my, my brain go everywhere. But um, particularly I was thinking about um, how the uh, environmental... you know social impact statements or uh, social impact assessments are going to um, either tell tell a particular story about uh, what's happening to communities out there uh, during this consistent you know kind of every every six months or something we go through some kind of major um, climate for which the local housing and infrastructure is not really built to 
contend with versus um and what kind of culture is derived out of that versus um whether or not it will just kind of be well this is the terrain we live in and we have to expect this type of lifestyle um and uh, you know there were kind of really um there were there was flooding at petrol stations and because, you know, Ampol or whatever petrol station didn't clear things up properly, um, there was a leakage of, of petrol into people's sinks. So there was like a sink that was bubbling up with this black substance, this gooey black substance, like oil. And it was actually, um, you know, it reeked of petrol. So there's a kind of, yeah, there's a, a kind of, you know, online culture or media culture that's developing around um, bringing this kind of information forward. And of course, we had the fires out there as well in this, like, a few summers ago. Um, so the, the kind of, Who who is talking about these problems? Who is speaking about these um problems? Who's being affected by them, and who's responsible for resolving them? Which is kind of a long way from Bordeaux, but it's just a kind of another example of um, culture with respect to. Um, the way structures impact whether or not something is defined in a particular way, whether it has particular relativity. Okay, what the relationality of that is. I'm going, I'm going where the fuck off, but I'm just kind of, you know, moving across different things that I've been observing in the news. Um, and so I think that that's a really important point that's kind of made. And discussed by <laughs> and developed by Bordeaux, which is this relationality between culture and structure, um, and who is given given power to define what what art is, particularly in high art, and how that's incredibly exclusive, um, and often at the expense of the development of new art. Or new forms of arts. And so too with other areas of culture and, and cultural issues or cultural problems or things that need to be addressed. Um, but, you know, don't are not necessarily because they are not attached to the interest of that reproduction mode, reproduction of wealth, reproduction of power, reproduction of monopoly, um, reproduction of... 
you know, relationality as predetermined in context of a particular cultural, a particular cultural idea, um, or a particular subsection of a particular culture. So, for example, white elitism. There's just an interesting note here about continually, continually reestablish an orthodoxy in a field whose logic encourages heterodoxy. Yeah, which leads to that kind of notion of express and expression. So the high kind of consumption of something that is you know only really validated at a, a you know a much smaller percentage And that, of course, is usually devised by, you know, those white elites who may give grace. Although it's, yeah, anyway, please, because I could go on about this and probably not come out of it making any motherfucking sense at all. So let's leave it at that. And art, of course, being central to expression, to voice. <coughs> And so too with other areas of culture and, and cultural issues or cultural problems or things that need to be addressed. Um, but, you know, don't are not necessarily because they are not attached to the interest of that reproduction mode, reproduction of wealth, reproduction of power, reproduction of monopoly, um, reproduction of... you know, relationality as predetermined in context of a particular cultural, a particular cultural idea um, or a particular subsection of a particular culture. So, for example, white elitism. There's just an interesting note here about continually, continually reestablish an orthodoxy in a field whose logic encourages. 
heterodoxy. Yeah, which leads to that kind of notion of express and expression. So the high kind of consumption of something that is, you know, only really validated at a, a, you know a much smaller percentage. may give grace although it's yeah anyway please because i could go on about this and probably not come out of it making any motherfucking sense at all so let's leave it at that Keep it up to me while I be living proof. To kick the truth to the young black youth.